Hi, it's Matt. Just before we start the show, I want to tell you about a great live event I've got coming up on the 27th of March. To celebrate 600 episodes of Recruiting Future, I'm going to be hosting a live Ask Me Anything webinar. This is your chance to pick my brain on anything you like, including market trends and predictions, the impact of AI on recruiting, skills-based hiring, the changing role of recruiters, podcasting tips, or even my favourite Scottish tourist destinations and whiskies. Literally, ask me anything. I'll also be joined by some surprise special guests who'll be adding their perspectives to the conversation. You can sign up now by going to mattalder.me slash AMA. That's mattalder.me slash AMA. And I really look forward to seeing you there. That web address one last time. mattalder.me slash AMA. Support for this podcast comes from Aluba. Aluba is a leader in data science and analytics skills assessment. Offering comprehensive testing and candidate benchmarking with seamless integration into your hiring process. Aluba helps you assess the skills of data professionals in a fast and unbiased way, allowing you to uncover hidden gems which are often overlooked during manual CV screening. With Aluba, you can save the time and cost of filling data and analytics vacancies by providing an advanced online skills assessment and instantaneous feedback to all of your candidates. Find out more about Aluba at aluba.com slash recruiting future and book a demo today. That's aluba.com slash recruiting future. And Aluba is spelled A-L-O-O-B-A. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 361 of the Recruiting Future podcast. The corporate focus on talent acquisition is significant at the moment as companies across the world deal with the challenges of getting the right talent into their organisations. But what strategies do talent acquisition leaders need to successfully scale their recruiting operations at a time of such significant transformation? My guest this week is someone who's been scaling recruiting teams in Silicon Valley for a long time. Richard Cho is Head of Recruiting at Robinhood, having previously been with Facebook, Dropbox, Machine Zone and the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Robinhood recently made headlines in the industry by acquiring recruiting firm Bink. I'm delighted that Richard agreed to come on the show to talk about Robinhood's strategy and share some hugely valuable insights into the way ahead for talent acquisition. Hi, Richard, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Matt. Good to uh, good to chat with you again. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. Brilliant to have you on the show. Could you just quickly introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? My name is Richard Cho, but may- most people start to call me Cho over time. So, uh, if you hear about some guy named Cho at Robinhood, that's me. No one, no one else. Um, you know, I've been uh, doing this recruiting thing for 22 years, uh, but the last 14 years, I've been 
uh, lucky enough to join lots of hyper growth companies, helping them scale from, you know, 500 uh, to 6,000 at a place like uh, uh, Facebook and uh, 500, 1200 at, at Dropbox. And here I am doing it all over again at Robinhood as the head of recruiting. Uh, started here, there was 390 people at the company and uh, uh, we now have over 2000 people at the, at the company in just, just over two years. So I guess, you know, what, what do I do at the company? I well, help the organization uh, be set up for scale but mostly it's uh, firefighting all day long, all day, every day. <laughs> Absolutely. I can imagine. And for listeners who may not be familiar with Robin Hood and what it does, could you, could you just talk us through and tell us a little bit about the company? Yeah. I, I mean, there, there are specific um, uh, things that we, uh, we'd like to try to describe Robin Hood. Uh, ultimately, our mission is to democratize finance for all. Uh, we've created a commission-free platform that lets all types of investors, amateur experience, trade stocks, options, ETFs, exchange-traded funds, and cryptocurrencies. Um, ultimately, we want people to be able to learn from about investing, take control of their financial future, and uh, all the possibilities that come along with it. Now, you've talked there about just how rapidly Robinhood's scaling at the moment. Talk us through the sort of the evolving recruiting challenges that, that, that you have and, and, and how your strategies sort of really evolved to meet them, basically. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do we, uh, do we have two hours uh, on this podcast? I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, so, look, I mean, uh, it's very similar anytime. Uh, you have to scale companies from one, uh, you know, hundreds to to thousands. Uh, what got you to hundreds is not really what's going to be that helpful moving forward at scale. So the first thing it starts with is the resources that you have available, um, and ultimately, companies. No, no company says, "Hey, recruiting higher." Uh, with as minimal resources as you can. I mean, well, maybe some companies do, but uh, if the uh, ultimate goal is to exponentially grow, uh, the conversations that I've had with previous leaders of organizations, founders, um, executives, is that if there's a, uh, a, a clear way to justify uh, both growth and in team, investment in tools, um, and, and, uh, and other things, they're a hundred percent on board. Um, so evidenced by at Robinhood, I inherited a team of 14 people at the company. We now have over 300, uh, people, uh, I'm sorry, 300, 14 people within the recruiting team. Uh, and we now have over 300 people on the recruiting team, uh, which includes an acquisition that we could talk about later, but, um, you know, that is the first thing is to set the foundation for the right number of resources because what got you to hundreds of people at the organization won't scale. Uh, and it very much, it feels like brute force recruiting. Um, if you use that same uh, math uh, to calculate the number of resources and tools that you need, um, you start to uh, you know, standardized, extraordinary. Uh, and you don't want to do that. You don't want to, uh, uh, normalize the extraordinary because it, that, that math never takes you to thousands. So resources is first. Second is, uh, technology. Uh, it's important to be very clear about the technology that's going to, uh, uh, stay with you at, at the next 
two or three evolutions of scale. Uh, and and re- it also requires you to be very disciplined about putting in processes uh, so that the recruiters, uh, sourcers, coordinators all understand that, uh, you know, uh, moving from one person doing their job to hundreds of people doing their job, uh, uh, it, it requires having consistent uh, processes. Um, and then finally, uh, and this is not, this is, you know, this is actually one of the most important things you could do uh, is you start to lay the foundation uh, for a full transformation so that you can continue to focus on increasing diversity at the company. And again, that's another, there's a reason why I'm like, do you have two hours for the podcast? Because uh, we, we can go on each one of these <laughs> tangents and spend at least 45 minutes on each of them. Absolutely. I mean, let's just sort of dive in for a, a few more minutes to get a little bit more of a flavor. I mean, I suppose, talk us through a little bit about your thinking around technology and then perhaps just give us a bit more insight into the diversity strategy. So um, I have three buckets for technology. One is uh, these are table stakes, tools of the trade that every uh, company needs. Uh, these are, you know, the common things that people all know around uh, a proper ATS. Uh, no one loves their ATS, but you need one. Um, uh, and uh, not only do you need one, but you need to make sure that the ATS uh, has a great way um, to capture data so that you can uh, do more sophisticated modeling um, uh, to ensure that that feeds into the capacity models where you justify the resources. I mean, it all, it's a, it's a virtuous circle. Uh, and, it, and it starts sort of at the heart of that. Um, you know, uh, you want uh, LinkedIn, you want uh, CRM, and those are kind of table stakes. And then the second bucket is what are the things that really start to enhance or create efficiencies in your work? Um, a great example for coordinators is like good time. Um, the, the good time tool helps to uh, create so much more efficiency where they automate at least 60% of the process so that uh, you can uh, scale really quickly. And that, in, in my opinion, is one of the um, um, table stake tools of the trade, but it, it still falls into the innovative category because you can you can run a recruiting organization and scale without good time. It's just you know you should probably think about doing it. Um, the and, and other parts that fall into in, innovative uh, technologies are some of the uh, companies that we've had midterm and short term relationships with, where we're we're piloting uh, really interesting tools. Um, so uh, let me first. Uh, talk about Carrot, who we've had, um, I've personally had a uh, about a four-year relationship with them, which is uh, a good chunk of the time that they've been around. Uh, the reason why I, I consider Carrot a tool, even though really the uh, the premise of their, uh, their product is to um, have uh, interviewers that are calibrated in, in, with your uh, engineering recruiting bar and the goal is to really supplement your entire tech screening process with them. Um, the reason why I'm, I, I'm saying that they're on the in this innovation bucket is given that their practices around recruiting, uh, their ability to mitigate bias, uh, create a more fair interview process is innovative uh, because of uh, the 
things that I continue to see at every company that I've been a part of, um, both conscious and unconscious bias creeps in uh, when you have your own interview, when you have your own engineers responsible for the interview. And it takes a long time to get those interviewers trained and recognize how to how to create uh, a fair interview process. And Carrot helps to shortcut that. Uh, and they also help to save maker time uh, where we reserve our interview, uh, our engineer's time for the on- on-site interview. Uh, and, and so that is both, I guess, efficiency and innovation all wrapped into one. And then uh, the uh, second example that I'll use in this innovation bucket is a company called MetaView, where uh, MetaView is, is, is really a, a nascent technology, but they've uh, figured out a way to not only transcribe the interview process, but then uh, they uh, apply uh, a machine learning uh, you know, bot, if you will, that uh, starts to predict the, uh, you know, uh, the effectiveness of that particular interviewer, you know, how the questions were asked, uh, apply them to how other, uh, how that question was asked in other interviewers, uh, flagging areas where there's some anomalies, uh, and, and then also providing some suggestions on how to improve on the interview process. Um, again, the reason why that falls in the interviewer and uh, innovation category is it provides two very distinct things. One, it gives you a, a phenomenal tool to teach your interviewers how to be better at interviewing. We all, we all could use more training there. Um, but the second area, which I'm really excited to, to work on with, um, uh, which I'm really excited to work on uh, with a founder is applying uh, those bots to think about how to um, apply a, uh, a, a, uh, uh, some metrics, uh, some other things to flag where uh, bias uh, may have occurred, uh, and if and, and if if the machine uh, is uh, intelligent enough to continue to detect this, what you can do is it creates a phenomenal opportunity to create that feedback loop to help your interviewers get better at uh, debiasing the interview process, which we all know is is highly biased. Um, so that's in the innovation category. Um, and in the third area around technology is really on, on uh, mostly around efficiency. Um, so what are the things that you can do to make things better, faster, more efficient? Uh, and there's uh, a number of things that we look at, but uh, you know, the, the primary premise of that category is, you know, how you look at, how you look at your data. Um, you know, what data dashboards do you have? Uh, and, um, uh, so we currently use, uh, Tableau to, uh, visualize our data, uh, and then we apply, uh, some, uh, you know, common, uh, uh commonly, uh, understood metrics around what would, uh, you know, market standards be and see and, and look at where we can, uh, add more efficiency, uh, along the way. So those are the three buckets, uh, and, you know, the faster you scale, the more challenging all three of those buckets are as you as you grow. Absolutely, I mean that makes perfect sense. And you talked about bias and debiasing interviews and 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 sort of training people as as part of that. How does that fit into your your approach to diversity? It's the primary thing. Uh, so, I you know I'm a I'm a reformed uh, you know uh, talent leader that is that. Uh, originally assumed it was a pipeline issue. 
you know, I don't mind admitting it because I, I, I originally thought, wow, you know, diversity is super simple. We're, we're fishing from the wrong pond. So if we fish in new ponds, we'll increase diversity. Uh, and boy, was I wrong multiple times. Uh, and I learned my lesson as we, as I thought about the multiple times that I've attempted uh, to increase diversity at, at really important companies and, and failed. Um, and it really wasn't until we, we, we looked at this problem set uh, using a first principles lens uh, at a company called the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, where we got it partially right. And what I learned, what we learned um, there was that um, uh, diversity is not a, a uh, simply a, a pipelining problem. It's a selection problem. Uh, we uh, looked at the data and it's really clear that um, a vast majority of the interview outcome falls in this category of maybe yes or maybe no. Uh, you know, it, it, at, at that company, it was something uh, on the order of 60% or more. So greater than half, uh, it falls into this, I'm not quite sure category. Uh, and it's there because, you know, most people want to, uh, you know, select in uh, folks with non-traditional backgrounds. Um, and so they fall in this, I'm not quite sure category. So then how do companies adjudicate at that stage? They adjudicate by saying, okay, fine. I understand like in this middle, uh, where do they go to school and what company do they work at? That's the driver for people to adjudicate. So not only, even if you've, if you've uh, increased diversity in the pipeline, you started teaching people about unconscious bias. Uh, you still fall into this category as I'm not quite sure. So then, uh, companies fall into that, that then they they uh, perpetuate this diversity debt because they fall into the category of, okay, well, if we're not quite sure where do they go to school and where do they work, does anybody know this person? And we all know that those questions lead to uh, increase uh, 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 diversity. Um, so at Robinhood, we're you know we're not immune to that. We're working on on this. There's a there's a long road ahead of us, but we're starting first with that transformation around. Um, what are the things that we can do um, to create more weighting towards objective questions in the interview process? What are the things that we can do to ensure that we have uh, checks and balances where interviewers hold interviewers accountable for when some uh, some of these conscious, uh, unconscious or conscious bias shows up uh, in the process? Um, how do we uh, arm them with the right talking points uh, so that we can flag them for discussion so that when we go into this, the offer review committee that, uh, you know, there's someone in the room uh, to be able to ensure that we don't fall into that same adjudication trap uh, and, and, and challenge uh, where bias might occur. So th again, this is a long process. Uh, this is another hour conversation, but uh, hopefully that gave enough high level uh, steps on what we're doing at Robinhood. Yeah, no, absolutely. And thanks very much for sharing because I think there's uh, there's a huge amount of sort of valuable, valuable insight there. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned an acquisition that you'd made, and this is something that caused a, a, a sort of a fair bit of discussion in the recruitment community a few months ago. So give us some background and tell us what happened and what, what you did. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we uh, essentially acquired Bank, um, and Bank has been known, they've been around for uh, quite some time. Actually, um, Boris started Bank uh, uh, 
uh, 30 years ago, actually. Um, but it really was in the last, um, let's call it, uh, you know, 20 years, 20, 21 years that they've really shifted towards becoming the de facto uh, recruitment process outsourcing for the best for, for the for the best way to describe what they did they're 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 they go beyond RPOs but um, they essentially um, were the de facto RPO for hypergrowth startups um, I initially spoke to Boris in 2009 while I was at Facebook because we were really challenged with um, hiring product designers um, and it was a specific category of talent that was really hard to find in the market. Um, and, and, and Boris and I really hit it off. Um, now I didn't, we didn't, we didn't work with them at, at, uh, at, uh, Facebook, but later on in my career, we officially started working together at a company called machine zone. Uh, and, uh, uh, uh Boris and team and, and James, uh, James, Hunt was a, a co-founder that really catalyzed the shift from a standard uh, agency uh, to uh, the this like sophisticated RPO that that, that they were known for uh, in in the uh, in the market, um, and it was at that point that I realized, wow, not only do we share very similar values, but every time we talked about the innovation and recruiting, we just kept riffing on, on, on each other's ideas and kept going and making ideas really like better. And, and it blossomed into uh, a phenomenal relationship uh, where, you know, I brought him over to the Chan Zuckerberg initiative. I brought him uh, over to Robin hood. Um, and, uh, and it was, because of the fact that we, we, we were, we shared very similar hiring philosophies and we were complementary and added value to each other. And I've always said to them, like at some point, like, boy, it wouldn't be great to work together at some point. Um, so, uh, so fast forward, I'm at Robinhood. every year we're doubling, you know, uh, you know, year one, uh, we hired, over 400 people where the previous year we hired just, uh, just under 200, uh, year two, we hired over a thousand people where in the, uh, again, previous year we hired just over 400. Um, and this year we're going to hire, you know, well over 2000 people. Um, and, and so we're doubling every year. Uh, and I, uh, I led into this, to the intro talking about, uh, building capacity models and part of scaling is ensure you have the right resources. Uh, well, guess what? Every time you double the output, you need to double your resources. Um, so uh, Bink uh, had approximately 90-ish uh, people at the organization, 20 of which were already on on our accounts. Um, and, uh, you know, what was important to me was that we were able to not only retain the 20 ish, uh, folks that were on our account, um, but bring in, you know, leaders like a Boris and James and others, uh, on the team like Eli and Desiree, um, to really round out the organization as we grow, uh, in addition to the, the number of amazing ICs that they had on, on, on the team. So the need really was I needed to figure out a way to more than double the organization in a very short period of time. Um, the market was really 
uh, hot for uh, recruiting professionals. It was really hard to, you know, find them at, uh, quickly and hire them quickly. Um, so the acquisition came into play. Um, so, you know, this made sense for all all the reasons. Uh, the common question that I get uh, after people uh, get done yelling at me that I, I took away Bink uh, in <laughs> in the market where you know it, we're we're in the probably the hottest talent market that I've seen in in, in a few years um, is how'd you do it? How'd you justify it? Um, and I, and I talked about capacity models, but uh, it also is important that I at least recognize our our leaders, uh, and including our founders, where, um, you know, once they understood the, the need to double, double the organization, once they've also uh, ha- uh, put a lot of trust in our capacity models, uh, they just kept saying, well, how fast can you, can you do this, Joe? Um, and, uh, and, and that's, that's, you know, both having the support, uh, understanding that there is a need, Knowing fully well that that, that bank shares uh, very similar hiring philosophies and they have a very high quality bar for talent um, uh, on the recruiting team, it made a ton of sense. Uh, and 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 so uh, here we are. Fascinating stuff. And how's it panned out? Because I can imagine there are sort of quite a few challenges with bringing a, a thirty-year-old business into a kind of a much newer, faster-growing business. Yeah. Well, uh, ask me again about a year from now, but right now it's going uh, going really well. Uh, now it's not without challenges. I don't want to. I don't want to just like you know, uh, you know, speak to you through uh, rose-colored glasses. But it's just like um, the the biggest challenge. The biggest thing that I was worried about in this initial acquisition is that more than doubled our organization overnight. Uh, overnight, we went from eighty-eight people to one hundred and sixty. We're, we're now almost three hundred now. But just uh, in the organization. That there's a lot of there's a there's a significant amount of strain to the culture and the and the uh, and the connections that we have in the organization. Um, so one of the first uh, uh, projects that involve leaders from both Bank and at Robinhood was a culture integration uh, project that took. Uh, wow, it, it it actually took about two months to uh, build. Um, uh, socialize and then finally launch because um, it involved we didn't you know leaders uh, as leaders we didn't go in a in a room and decide these are our values and this is our mission and this is how we're going to create our culture we actually involved a lot of culture amb- ambassadors both from uh, uh, you know what we're calling old school Robin hoodies as well as folks that were culture carriers at bank uh, and we, and we challenged uh, you know, the, you know, the, the things that, uh, make up what was great about each organization and we pressure tested it against each other. And it turned out like 80% of it, we shared the same values as, and, um, so that was good. The 20% of it, we needed to think about, um, how do we evolve our culture to meet, uh, the organization where we're at today? Uh, so it was a big challenge, but uh, I'm happy to report it was a really successful launch. Uh, and it's uh, cultures are forever thing. You don't do it once, and you don't do one presentation and and have a fun offsite, and then you know high five, and then you don't think about it anymore. It's a continuous investment, uh, and that continuous investment continu- continues to pay pay dividends. Um, so part of that was the challenge, but also a, a great result. Um, 
then ultimately the the ROI is uh, you know are the resources producing results in the way that you originally planned? And I'm happy to report, yeah, absolutely. You know, they're only three months into the into their specific work as Robin Hoodies, um, you know, outside of the 20 that were already here that are, were already phenomenally productive. The, uh, the, the rest of the uh, community, the, the, the professional community, the IC community is doing really well. Um, I, you know, when I, when we do models, we actually plan for a 90 day ramp up. Um, and actually that's another podcast we could do maybe matt I, I think i'm just pitching new podcast ideas all day long um, we, we haven't even finished yet and you're more than one. i know we um, finished one and i'm like oh we could do like 17 more together um so um you know there's a 90-day productivity that we add to the capacity models uh and it's you know like i said there's there's both some art and science to it, but I haven't in my 22 years, I haven't figured out the why behind the 90 days, but always it's 90 days when resources start to really produce uh, results, incremental value. Um, so we're right at that 90 day mark uh, with, with, uh, with this crew and they're doing phenomenal work. Um, uh, we're at a stage where uh, because, you know, if you deliver on work, uh, the organization has a lot of trust that you can, can d- deliver more work. So we, uh, 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 we're, we're going to yet again, increase headcount. Um, so I, I'm, uh, unfortunately there's no more companies to buy that, uh, that I can think of right now, but like I need to go and, and continue to hire aggressively and add to our resources before right now, where we're at with the bank acquisition and with some organic growth, we're in, we're in really good shape. Um, so, uh, you, you know, we're, we're, we're set up really well. So as a final question for this interview anyway, it's obviously been a very disruptive and strange time, but also potentially sort of quite transformational for talent acquisition, for, for, for recruiting over the last 18 months. What's your view on the future? How, what do you think recruiting is going to look like moving forward um, into the future? Yeah. Um, I, you know, thank you for this question. This is, this is something that I, I haven't been this excited about talent acquisition for in, in a long while. Um, mainly because in our, in our world and in, in most in the technology, uh, world, and, and also, by the way, also in financial services and, and, and fintech, uh, there's a clear message from a lot of companies saying, Hey, we actually realize that people, people can be just as productive and in some cases more productive when they work from home. So many companies are working out these, uh, these strategies like, this return to off office strategy tends to be mostly around how can we manage a hybrid workforce, a flexible workforce, or a full-time remote workforce. Um, and, and Robinhood is actually right in the middle of it as well. Um, and what that does is it, it means that candidates are now anywhere in the, in the, in the nation, but also anywhere in the world uh, and tools uh, for working um and productivity, you know, uh, increasing productivity while managing a hybrid workforce have gotten a lot more sophisticated. Um, And look, companies like GitLab are probably like, we've been doing this for years. Uh, You know, you guys are late to the game. Um, But, you know, quite frankly, they've they've pioneered a lot of uh, really interesting ways to, you know, uh, uh, manage a remote workforce that many companies are are are, are learning from. Um, so because of that, talents are everywhere. Uh, 
And because talent is everywhere, um, you know, I actually think functionally on-site interviews are gone. Um, I, now, I, let's let let's let the market dictate this. And this is just an assertion from an old talent leader like myself. But um, I think gone are the days where people take you know full days off to do an on-site interview uh, where uh, they may or may not get the job. Uh, you know, sitting in traffic, you know, or traveling, uh, and traveling requires, you know, losing weekends and, uh, and so on and so forth. It just, the, that investment is no longer a, uh, you know, like a thing that you have to do in order to get a job, uh, because we've proven that you can get a job, uh, by doing an interview over, uh, a virtual conference, uh, tool, um, so what that means is it's going to put a lot of pressure in, in recruiting to create great experiences virtually. Uh, you know, what you, what we underappreciated, which was, you know, culture uh, is, is captured uh, by people just walking in the front door of our, of our lobby um, that you're going to have to recreate virtually. Um, now, I don't know of any great tools uh, and, and or companies that are focused on this idea, but this is where you start to differentiate your company, your values, your culture from others. And that's something that someone needs to tackle. Um, the other is you need to make sure that you've created an interview process that is as flexible as any time in the day. And this is, re- this is where a carrot comes into play. They, they do inter- interviews really literally any time in the day. Um, and as a, as a, as a, um, as a result, uh, they, uh, they are a lot more flexible for this uh, environment where candidates can be anywhere in any time zone. Um, and then the other area where this is the one that gets me the most excited is like, if interviews occur virtually, you can do so many really innovative things in the conference room. Cause now you have uh, machines in the conference room uh, that can transcribe interviews. Obviously this is all with consent in a high, I have to say this as a highly regulated uh, environment. We, we care a lot about, you know, uh, uh, ensuring that we protect, uh, you know, personal information and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, assuming we can get over the, the regulatory hurdles and we do it in a fair, equitable way, um, the things that you could do in the interview room, because you now have access to the interview room, uh, is is uh, endless. Uh, and this is where you can drive fair hiring practices. You can drive more effective interviewing. You can drive, you know, uh, you know, uh, testing these uh, interview questions that that get stale over time. All things that we had to react to uh, in the past, we can now be very proactive uh, and create these really amazing experiences for our candidates, um, but create even better interview uh, effectiveness as a result. And then, you know, forget about all the data. Like I'm, I'm very excited about the data uh, that we can uh, collect along the way just to ensure that um, we, we continue to drive effectiveness along the way. So anyways, that is a uh, high level sort of ex- excited rant about what's what's possible. Um, I do think uh, the workforce is going to be anywhere now. 
Uh, it's going to be borderless recruiting uh, and recruiting professionals need to learn how to do that uh, and, at, and do that at scale if they, if they want to continue to compete in this talent market. Richard, thank you very much for joining me. Matt, I always appreciate uh, our conversations. I'm glad uh, this time we were allowing a lot more people to listen in our, on our chats. So thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Thank you. My thanks to Richard Cho. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts on Spotify or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics and hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.